You'll need a report from a psychologist or a psychiatrist to show that your psychological health has been significantly changed as a result of that abuse. And if you have that type of evidence, well then um, you, you'll successfully mount a claim for compensation if you have been, been abused by, by the clergy. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from Northern California. Uh, where my office is today. And Bob Ambrosi, my co-host, is off. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court, have a book out called How to Get Sued. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com forward slash law, and Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, today we're going to be discussing the investigations into allegations of sexual abuse spanning nearly three decades by Catholic priests in Ireland and Europe from a legal perspective. In an official pastoral letter to the to Ireland, sexual abuse victims this past weekend, uh, Pope Benedict's apologies to Ireland's Catholics, but um, it didn't address the recent charges in his native country of Germany and other countries around the world, including the United States. Three-and-a-half-year-old uh, government Investigation in Ireland, the Murphy Report, is now complete, and the Vatican's response and alleged uh, cover-up of sexual abuse by priests has enraged victims of abuse and the general public around the world. There's been a lot of call for bishops who knew of this cover-up to step down everywhere from Ireland to Germany, and this week there are new abuse charges that have emerged against Catholic clergy in Germany. Cardinal Sean Brady, the Irish Catholic leader, still faces demands from clerical abuse victims to stand down over his role in silencing two young victims of a pedophile priest, Father Brendan Smythe. Our first guest today is attorney Helen McGonigal out of Brookfield, Connecticut. Helen has practiced law since 1986. She's consulted nationally on legal cases pertaining to sexual assault, child sexual abuse, memory, psychological injuries, and hypnosis. Attorney McGonigal was the chair of the Connecticut Bar Association's Victims' Rights Committee and has served on the state of Connecticut's advisory board of the Office of Victim Advocate. Helen herself was a victim of abuse at the hands of Reverend Brendan Smythe and is here to talk with us to share her story and talk about her advocacy for survivors of child sexual abuse. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Helen McGonigal. Thank you for having me. Well, and our next guest is Vincent Shannon. He is the senior partner of Shannon Solicitors out of Dublin, Ireland. Vincent has been a solicitor in Ireland for 32 years. He's a specialist in court litigation and has represented many victims of clerical, sexual, and physical abuse. He has also represented Irish people who now reside in America who have suffered abuse in Ireland. Shannon are happy to act for any American citizen or law firm who wants to have business done in Ireland. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Vincent Shannon. Thank you very much. Well, Helen, if we could, can we start with you and maybe give our listeners a little bit of a um, uh, preview of your story so that we can kind of set this in context? Uh, well, yes, Craig. I, um, you know, I grew up uh, in the state of Rhode Island. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, moved to Rhode Island at the age of five, lived there from the ages of five to age 12. 
And during that period of time, we belonged to a parish known as Our Lady of Mercy in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And it was through our, um, and I attended the school, the Catholic school, Our Lady of Mercy. And it was through attending Our Lady of Mercy that uh, my family came into contact with Father Brendan Smith. We, we say it's Smith, even though it's S-M-Y-T-H. Um, and uh, Smith had been assigned to my parish the summer of 1965. And, uh, and he actually entered my life and the life of my family uh, the summer of 1967. Um, my uh, grandmother had come to live with us. My grandmother uh, was from Ireland. Uh, she was able to converse in Gaelic, and um, my mom was taking care of her mother, so she came to live with us, and the idea was to have the house blessed, and the uh, priest assigned to do that task was Father Brendan Smith, and uh, that's when I first met him, um, and uh, you know, and then that 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 was in 1967. My first grade year was that fall of 1967, and uh, when Smith came to our house, he had tea with my grandmother. He stayed for dinner. Uh, I remember him conversing with my grandmother a bit in Gaelic, and he was a very playful man. You know, he had put me up on his knee and bounced me on his knee, and uh, you know, I remember I was only six years old and I was a tiny kid. I. I was only about 43 inches high, and I weighed less than 40 pounds. And uh, he, um, you know, he liked to. He was quite a, a playful man. He, you know, had coins in his pocket, and he put the coin behind the ear and pretend it disappeared, kind of thing. And then uh, when I met him in school, uh, you know, I was introduced to him, and he, um, he, he, by a nun who wanted me to address him as Father Smith, and and he said, No, no, no! Don't you remember me at your house? You can call me Father Jerry, because he had recollected my brother's name was Jerry or Gerard, and also that my uncle's name was Jerry or Gerard. And uh, Brendan Smith's middle name was Gerard. His, his first name was John Gerard Smith. And it was, um, you know, at Our Lady of Mercy, uh, you know, at the school that, uh, that uh, Smith actually pulled me out of my first grade class and molested me. And, uh, and then, you know, eventually by second grade, he was taking me across the street to the church and molesting me there. And uh, because he was also a fixture in our neighborhood in East Greenwich, he molested me in my home. And he molested me, my sister, uh, my neighbor across the street, and my neighbor next door. So he just went right down the street molesting kids. And uh, we now know today that he was convicted on a total of 117 counts of child molestation, if you combine his guilty pleas in Northern Ireland with the, the, the other 74 in the Republic of Ireland. So his case represents a well-documented case of an in individual who admitted in open court to being a fixated pedophile, and also a well-documented case of the Vatican knowing, as of 1968, that he was an abuser and his his superior, a Norbertine abbot, he was a Norbertine uh, priest, um, knowing that he was an abuser and allowing him to roam the world freely and travel from place to place. Uh, he abused children in Scotland in the late 1950s, in Wales in the late 1950s, in Northern Ireland, uh, and then he came to East Greenwich, as I said, in 1965 and was there in the late 60s. And then he was caught in East Greenwich in 1968, early 1968, and sent back to Ireland to go to Purdysburn Mental Hospital outside of Belfast. And uh, that was his first failed mental hospitalization for the treatment of 
pedophilia. He had three failed hospitalizations. Um, and nevertheless, they allowed him to come back to the United States where he was assigned to a parish in Langdon, North Dakota, in the Diocese of Fargo. And then he was in North Dakota from 1979 to 1983, approximately. And then he was sent back to Ireland. And uh, he also continued to visit Rhode Island during this time period as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and was allowed to continue molesting children. Um, I've been in contact with families in Ireland uh, and, and victims of Brendan Smith in, in Ireland, and one is the father of all four of his kids were molested by Brendan Smith in the 1980s. Um, you know, and here we have the Vatican on notice, Cardinal Brady, uh, the chief prelate of the country of Ireland, on notice that Smith was an offender, his abbot on notice, and, uh, you know, he molests all four kids in that family. Another fellow, his two sisters and four cousins, all molested by Brendan Smith. And another individual who was molested by Smith in the uh, uh, Rubain house in Nazareth Lodge. These are orphanages uh, in Belfast. Uh, he was able to go into these orphanages and pick out, you know, any kid he wanted to molest. So. Obviously a, a, a very uh, troubled man. Well, Vincent, um, can you tell us what's going on in Ireland and perhaps the uh, Murphys and the, and the Ryan reports? Yes, Craig. Um, the, the Ryan report uh, covered institutional abuse um, going back since the 1940s, and um, it uh, uncovered huge abuse by the religious orders of nuns and priests who were uh, treating in a despicable manner uh, the the uh, boys and girls in these uh, institutions. And it was a report that took several years to compile and uh, it set up a compensation commission where anybody who was a resident in the institution and who could show that they were abused during their time there received compensation from the redress board uh, without a a court situation or without litigation. So uh, your evidence was accepted and many people uh, suffered very late in life. Uh, Well, they suffered early in life, but they got compensation later on in life through that board. And that was for people who went into the uh, residential institutions. But quite apart from that, in the Dublin diocese itself, uh, they had what they call the Murphy Report. And this investigated what Helen was talking about there, where it investigated where priests were being moved from parish to parish um, and abusing altar boys and youth in youth clubs and things like that in various parishes, exactly the same way that Brendan Smith was operating. And um, this... uh, generated a huge amount of litigation because the church denied it it, uh, happened. It had a cloak of secrecy throughout the whole thing. It told people that they couldn't sue. And recently, Cardinal Brady uh, got two young victims of Brendan Smith to sign an oath of secrecy so that they would never reveal the uh, rape and abuse that had taken place. 
So this litigation uh, came before the Irish courts. There was thousands of abused victims. Uh, there was uh, thousands of sig- hundreds of civil actions and millions of euros were paid out in damages. And the legal situation in Ireland, Craig, changed dramatically in the year 2000, where up to then people had to abide by a three-year limit uh, for personal injuries or a six-year limit for assault. So if you were outside those periods, you couldn't instigate your action. Whereas, as you know, for sexual abuse, it could be 30 years before you realise what has happened to you and it all comes back to you. So the statute of limitations in Ireland was changed in 2000 and that meant that anybody uh, who had suffered sexual abuse while they were under 21 years of age could bring an action before the courts regardless of how long ago it happened and that act is still there today. One of the things I would caution anybody considering this is that delay uh, the court can criticise you for uh, if there's a delay between the abuse and the bringing of the action. So they will say if it's not in the interest of justice we won't allow the case to proceed. So if people have a a right of action, they should certainly issue proceedings now rather than wait. And uh, the attitude of the diocese in Dublin to compensation has dramatically changed as as well as the law in the statute of limitations. The, uh, The diocese, there have been so many claims, they're not fighting them anymore. They've stopped fighting them. If you can show that uh, you were abused and if you can support that by medical evidence, then um, you will be compensated where you have a genuine case. You won't have to go to court. It won't be contested. You'll need a report from a psychologist or a psychiatrist to show that your psychological health has been significantly changed as a result of that abuse. And if you have that type of evidence, well, then um, you, you'll successfully mount a claim for compensation if you have been been abused by, by the clergy. Anyone thinking mm-hmm. of that? Sorry, Craig, should, of course, instruct a lawyer in Ireland. And um, th- th- that's the way it's done at the moment. Right. Helen, we know that Reverend Smith has died in prison in 1997. And he's now the center of the scandal in the Catholic Church. Uh, That's right. How has that affected you and, and what uh, what have you done in, in your practice to uh, deal with those issues? Well, what we've done, uh, the, the, uh, we've continued in our practice to sue the church. Um, we, we, they, they are liable uh, vicariously for, for all of their priests. Um, uh, some people have joined the Pope in the actions, but uh, in suing the Irish uh, diocese and the, uh, the Irish priests and the Dublin diocese, it's sufficient to, to ground the action. Um, the the Cardinal Brady episode hasn't changed the legal vista, but it has been a huge embarrassment for the church. Uh, but it also has weakened any defence that the uh, church may have had up to now. So um, the, the proceedings are going ahead. Anyone who has been um, abused is now being compensated by the church. They're, they're now recognizing their, their liability and they're not contesting the actions. Right. Now, Helen, what, uh, what kind of an advocacy work are you doing now for victims of abuse? Well, um, Craig, you know, it, it used to be the case that I was very much in the forefront of 
advocating for victims, you know, especially here in Connecticut. And, um, you know, once I got my memories in uh, year 2005, beginning in August of 2005, and, uh, you know, your listenership doesn't necessarily know this, but uh, my sister, who was a victim as well, um, died of a fatal overdose in uh, December of 2005. And, um, you know, just this was all very difficult for me to absorb. So I had to really rethink um, what I was doing in my practice uh, of law. Um, I, you know, I needed to reserve all my energy and resources to um, get through this myself. You know, there was a lot for me to absorb in the process, and I lost my sister, and then I lost my brother uh, as well in uh, year 2008. So both of my siblings are gone. My sister died at 48. My brother died at 53. They both, uh, you know, had, had fatal overdoses. Um, so, you know, I was just demolished, basically. And I was forced to, you know, myself, it was a choice I made on my own, I felt that I could not serve, uh, uh, you know, in my capacity, full, you know, I was uh, disabled, um, uh, representing the interests of victims on our Connecticut Bar Association Crime Victims Advocacy Board, um, the Crime Victims Rights Committee. So I stepped down from that position. And, you know, until I get stronger, I, you know, I, I have to uh, be careful about what I step into. So... Um, you know, the reality is that uh, the ABA just came out with a study on how uh, the practice of law can give lawyers post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, you know, I'm a case example of that. I have a case of PTSD. It's a reality. And that means I have to pace myself in terms of what I do. Um, in my heart, it still remains, you know, an, in, an area in practice of the law that interests me. It's just for the time being, I have to take it easy for a little while. Right. Now, Vincent, you've mentioned that there's been some connection between the United States and Ireland, uh, especially in the in the situations of abuse. And we've seen how Brendan Smith has moved from one country to the other. Uh, any other circumstances like that? And, and how do you uh, deal with, with uh, victims of abuse in the United States? Well, a lot of the Irish people who uh, have suffered abuse have emigrated. Uh, a lot of them have... Um, in a sense of shame, have emigrated. They've they've gone to to Europe. They've gone to the United States, and a lot of them uh, have tried to carve out a new life for themselves. But still, a lot of them find that um, this just doesn't go away. It's a lifelong infliction, and uh, when these uh, redress boards uh, were set up, then they started contacting Irish lawyers to find out could their rights be vindicated in the Irish courts. And that's where uh, we have been acting for people who have lived abroad but have suffered the sexual abuse here in Ireland. And Helen, how how um, have you been able to reconnect with folks in, in Ireland or do you send people over? How is it that uh, you're working with the, the country? Well, as I said earlier, I mean, I've been able to connect with actually some of the Smith victims in Ireland, um, and I know that there's many. I mean, you know, there's news accounts of there being 90, 100, maybe even more than that, uh, just from Father Brendan Smith alone. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, we're all, you know, of the few that I've connected with, we're in contact with each other. Um, but apart from that, you know, I haven't reached the point of um, reaching out to um, the bar in Ireland. Um, it's 
probably something I'm, I should do and encourage the other folks to do as well. Um, you know, it's, I have to confess that being a U.S. attorney, it's all Greek to me. Um, and, uh, you know, the folks over there, you know, uh, such as Vincent, know what they're doing and, and, you know, know what the hurdles are and, uh, you know, how to seek redress for individuals. Well, Vincent, we've we've heard the the papal apology, and and now people are asking the question of whether or not the bishops are going to be stepping down. What's the latest in Ireland? Yes, well, well, the latest in Ireland, Craig, is that uh, several of the bishops have already resigned. Uh, some, of course, are holding out, uh, and Cardinal Brady is refusing to resign. There's mixed feelings as to whether he should resign or not. He has apologised. He has said that what he did in getting an oath of secrecy signed by very young children was wrong. He's admitted he's wrong, and he has asked uh, for people to reflect over the next three months to to try and everybody to decide whether he should stay or not. He is, that is his only blemish on his career so far. His resignation it might not uh, serve anything. He would be replaced by somebody who comes from the same culture, the same ethos, and it would just be another name. So maybe a resignation is not something that would be uh, benefit child protection. Uh, the Cardinal has been very involved in uh, the Forum for Child Protection. The Catholic Church have invested millions of pounds in setting up a protocol for child protection and it is starting to take effect uh, and the Cardinal has asked to be allowed to stay uh, to continue that work. However, other bishops who were involved at the time in the Dublin Diocese as auxiliary bishops who would have interviewed these people and who um, these abused victims and who would have uh, hushed up the whole matter and failed to report it. A lot of those bishops have resigned. So uh, there is a bit of a clean out in the Catholic Church. But I'd also have to say to to your listeners that the the um, the faith of Irish Catholics has been hugely diminished by these recent events and um, the church is in crisis in Ireland. There's no doubt about that. Well, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll be talking more about clergy abuse and what to do if you're a victim of clergy abuse. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. 
Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by attorney Helen McGonigal and Vincent Shannon, who is the senior partner of Shannon Solicitors in Dublin. Right before the break, we were talking about the status of the Catholic uh, religion in Ireland and how it's taken a big hit from this. Helen, we've heard a lot about canon law lately, uh, especially with respect to the apology and the the other related issues. Can you explain to our listeners uh, the aspect of canon law? Well, you know, just from the legal perspective, we hear about the concept of separation of church and state, the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause, and so forth. But that doesn't mean that the that courts and judges can't look at canon law. And canon law is church law, and this is a codified law, um, and there are certain canons that are controlling in these cases. I mean, there's, there's canons that exist that um, prohibit uh, the molestation of children, obviously. This is the kind of conduct that is obviously not condoned in the canons. Yet there's other canons, Canon 489, which deals with the secret archives. And these are the archives kept by each diocese in the Vatican, in the Roman Curia. And these are where the documents are stored that um, result from the tribunal hearings, the ecclesiastical hearings, like that which... Uh, Cardinal uh, Sean Brady participated in dealing with the two victims uh, who came forward and said they were molested by Brendan Smith. You know, out of those hearings, you know, documents are created. The notary, which is, uh, you know, Cardinal Brady was a notary. He's a canon lawyer. Uh, He would have memorialized what took place at the tribunal, and then it's stored in the secret archives. Now, the older version of Canon 489 provided that every 10 years, you know, there, the bishop was able to um, destroy records, especially if they were scandalous and reflected badly on the church. So we have, uh, for example, in Connecticut, uh, there was a Bishop Walter Curtis who served in the Diocese of Bridgeport in the 1960s, and uh, he's now deceased. But when Bishop Curtis was uh, uh, deposed, his deposition was taken in a case, uh, you know, he candidly admitted that we have secret archives and I destroyed some of the records. And so this has probably happened worldwide. Um, And, uh, you know, in addition to that, uh, you know, the canon on the secret archives, there's also directives, directives that are issued by the the Vatican that are separate and apart from canons. And one critical thing that the Vatican did uh, in 1962, when there was an earlier version of it, was issue a directive, also confidential or secret, uh, to all bishops worldwide that dealt with crimes of solicitation, which included child molestation. And in that directive, it indicated, it's quite a lengthy document, but you can find it on the Internet. BBC Panorama did a great, you know, expose of the, the, the Vatican Directive on Crimes of Solicitation. It says that, uh, a, uh, you know, these cases are to be dealt with in secrecy, the uh, victims, the perpetrator, and any witnesses are to be sworn to secrecy under penalty of excommunication. 
And um, the Vatican and some within the Vatican and canon lawyers have taken the position that the directive only applies to crimes of solicitation that take place uh, that would otherwise be protected by the clergy penitent privilege, uh, which can never be broken. It, but when you read the document, uh, the, the Vatican Directive, it's, it's, it's very apparent that it doesn't just apply to information that uh, is revealed in the seal of the confessional. And uh, it goes beyond that. And uh, so the Vatican Directive has been very problematic. And in 2001, our current Pope, Benedict XVI, when he was then called Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, headed a important Vatican committee known as the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And the CDF was basically the risk management office for sexual abuse claims. And in May of 2001, Cardinal Ratzinger reaffirmed the Vatican Directive of 1962. And, and mind you, it was all still secret. It was all still confident, uh, confidential. The public didn't know about it. And what needs to happen is the Pope needs to rescind that, and he needs to revoke the directive. I mean, I can't believe that it's still on the books and no action has been taken to renounce it, and he didn't address it in his most recent letter to the people of Ireland. Vincent, you've described uh, the types of evidence and uh, what victims need to do to bring their case before the courts in Ireland. What kind of damage... Uh, what kind of damages, what kind of payment are, is the Catholic Church making as part of this kind of recognition of, of out-of-court settlement issues? Yes, they're, 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 they're uh, paying uh, compensation amounts based on the medical evidence of the abused person. So you're looking at a range of from €10,000, it could be up to a half a million euro, depending on the damage that the person has suffered. So from very small compensation to very high compensation. Well, we've just about reached the end of our program, so it's time to wrap up with final thoughts and contact information. So, Helen, let's turn to you. And, and I would appreciate it if you could, as a survivor, if you could give some advice to other victims of clergy abuse and perhaps some inspiring words for some victims. Well, my, um, my primary message is that if you're suffering with this sort of uh, condition um, or memories like this, that just remember that secrecy is the enemy. And this is something that the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, and all perpetrators of these crimes have relied on, that, you know, the victim will feel ashamed and humiliated and they'll, they'll, they'll remain secret. You need to break that bond because the shame is the shame of the perpetrator and of the church and those who have harbored them. Um, you know, the, the victims should never feel ashamed. It's not their fault. So secrecy is, is the enemy. And tell somebody. And even if it's telling a friend, uh, you know, at first, um, just also bear in mind that rape crisis centers in, throughout the country, they're there. There's the RAIN network. You can contact somebody at a rape crisis center, whether you're male or female. Um, I know in Connecticut that, you know, those, those conversations are privileged between a victim and a rape crisis counselor, and that might be the first way of breaking the ice. And certainly if there is an active predator that's not deceased, you, you, I encourage anybody out there, please contact law enforcement because these people have to be stopped and they have to be put in jail. 
And how can our listeners reach you, Helen? Well, I, uh, I'm in Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, my uh, email address is probably the easiest way to reach me, and that's A-T-T-Y-M-C-G at yahoo.com. And then my, mo- my phone number is 203-740-0074. Great. Thank you very much. And Vincent, with your final thoughts and contact information, Well, Craig, please. before we sign off, I'd like to uh, encourage your listeners to visit Ireland if they could. The dollar at the moment is 135 against the euro. Prices in the hotels and guest houses have been slashed. So if you visit Ireland, you're assured of a hearty welcome. But just to turn to the very serious subject we've been discussing, uh, anybody who uh, is considering taking action should not delay. Delay can sometimes defeat a valid case where the person could be accused of doing nothing for years and then suddenly saying, uh, I, I want to bring this case. So if, if they have a case, they should deal with it, instructing uh, lawyers in Ireland. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's a traumatic thing, but the church at the moment are not putting victims through the rigorous proof of a court trial. They are compensating genuine uh, people who have suffered. Great. And your contact information for uh, My contact, our, the best is our website, www.shannons, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-S dot I-E. And I'd be delighted to talk to anybody, including Helen. Great. Well, thank you very much. And that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, for our listeners, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'd also like to extend a very special thanks to our guests, Helen McGonigal and Vincent Shannon, for being with us today on our show. And also for our listeners, remember, you can find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes as well and get credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to certain Legal Talk Network podcasts at WestLegalEdCenter.com. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.